Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Good afternoon. My name is Karen Messina. I'm a psychologist, child, adolescent, and adult psychoanalyst, author, podcast host, and the new chair of the Scholarship and Writing Committee of the American Psychoanalytic Association's Department of Psychoanalytic Education. There's a lot of education in just saying all that. Uh, Today, I'd like to welcome a special guest, Barbara Richter. Barbara has a very impressive background. She is an accomplished author, public speaker, French to English translator, founder of DIY Book, and we'll be talking about that, and Indian ghostwriting. Raised in a home, steeped in books, and greatly influenced by her father, an award-winning editor and National Book Award finalist, Barbara's upbringing richly nurtured her literary heritage and profoundly honed her critical thinking skills. Barbara's multifaceted career, marked by her roles as a managing editor of Literary Features Syndicate, um, columnist for Fine Books, Collections Magazine, and contributor to the Wall Street Journal, the New York Daily News, and the Soani Review. Is that correct? Yes. Has firmly established her as a prominent figure in both modern literature and in entrepreneurships. Building off her extensive writing expertise, Barbara launched DIY Book in 2023, a comprehensive solution designed to make book writing and publishing accessible and affordable for authors at all levels, for novice to seasoned professionals. And when I've mentioned this, this new service to people, they say, why wasn't this here before? And I said, well, you have a very special person who is doing this. So I don't know. The platform is a step-by-step process equipped with weekly email prompts catering to various categories, such as trauma, military service, relationships, and more. This tailored approach simplifies writing and publishing by providing structured guidance, helping users overcome writer's block, lack of direction, and feeling overwhelmed. And I know a lot of people do feel that way and they never get off the ground or they're writing off the ground. So this should be a a wonderful opportunity. DIY Books support system includes various tools and resources to enhance writing quality and efficiency, thereby making the publishing journey more approachable for anyone with a story to tell. Barbara is also the founder of In Ink Ghostwriting, which she started in 2014, one of the premier ghostwriting firms in the New York City area with clients from around the world, which delivers an assortment of writing services from business books to memoirs and novels. The firm caters to a diverse clientele, such as best-selling authors, NFL players, 
Fortune 500 CEOs, artists, musicians, doctors, entrepreneurs, and attorneys. Robert holds a BA and MA in French language and literature from Smith College and Tufts University. She is a founding member of the Tickner Society, a voting member of the National Books Critics Circle, and a member of the Grolier Club, the world's largest bibliophilic association. Currently residing in Westchester, New York with her family and beloved Basset Hounds, Robert contributes to uh, continues to enrich the landscape of literature and entrepreneurship, contributing significantly to the domains of storytelling and literary access. Um, I've learned from a couple of editors of magazines lately that storytelling, that approach is really the way to go because it's much more engaging for people. So I, I think this is a great opportunity um, for people to get into storytelling too. So welcome, Barbara. Um, Thank you. Very happy to talk with you today. Likewise. Uh, one thing it, I think you want to talk about is ghostwriting psychology and writing for wellness. And, and what I thought of is one way to think about this is overcoming anxiety associated with writing. So uh, I... I looked some things up about writer's block and I noticed the University of Springfield has suggested that it's uh, associated with one or more forms of anxiety. And I, I actually think there are more than that, but at least we'll, we'll say these four and you have, may have um, others. Fear of sounding too simple, feeling like everything written isn't good enough to be submitted. And this is a university for a grade or right. ad for public viewing, fear of failure, and feeling like your ideas are unoriginal or uninspired. Do you have other things that you'd like to add to that list? Um, so so the you know what what holds people back, um, that anxiety when it comes to writing. I think also um I, I think as you mentioned, there's this analysis paralysis that you that you hear of sometimes where people overthink what they're going to write. Um, and then they just get stuck. Uh, they're just uh, frozen. It's that fight or flight. And then you get that, I guess, frozen uh, component as well. And I guess that piece that you were reading uh, at the University of uh, Springfield, Illinois, maybe it's just dealing with students, but it deals, I think that it, it um, can affect anybody who's writing anything. Um, I think another element to this anxiety around writing uh, is imposter syndrome, which I think you mentioned, um, which is I'm not good enough. I didn't study writing. I don't have an MFA. I don't have these awards. What in the world can I contribute? That's another thing that I see sometimes as people say, well, I'm writing about X, but all of these other authors have already written about it. What could I possibly contribute? Why bother? Um, and that can also hold people back. Uh, skill. I think you mentioned skill. Skill is another one where, again, people just say, well, again, I didn't learn how to write professionally, so there's no way I can do it. Um, and then I think another one that maybe folks don't actively think about is everyday life being distracting uh, and trying to do everything all at once. If you're not a, a writer professionally, uh, the thought of adding something else uh, to your life is sometimes it's just one thing too many, even if you really want to do it. 
Um, and I think there is that anxiety associated with, well, people do do this for a living and I'm going to try and do this not for necessarily a living. Maybe it's a side hustle. Maybe it's something personal. Um, you know, if it's a memoir about uh, trauma or things that you've experienced, um, that, that can lead to a sense of overwhelm. And as a result, a lot of people will just put their book project ideas aside for years or in some cases, you know, forever. Um, and that's that's really what I hope uh, my various enterprises will do is help people say, no, I don't need to be overwhelmed. I don't need to go it alone. Um, or if I am going it alone, there is a way to get around um, these roadblocks, which are significant and, and they do can't, they can cause significant anxiety, I think, and I'm sure as you've seen, um, but, but there are ways to get around them. Absolutely. I, I know that from personal experience, people say to me all the time, I don't know how you write books. How, how, how do you see patients and, and how do you do that? And I'll tell them, I mean, I'll help you. It's really, it's not as hard as you think. And they say to me, well, I can hardly get you on the phone. So how are you going to help me write a book? And then they get frozen or they were already frozen. But you have some service now that can really help them in a systematic way. So I'm telling everybody that I that I know who's who's had this wish but can't push through to make it happen. So it's really great. Absolutely. I think also there's this thought amongst some people that writing, it's just divine inspiration. It just comes to writers and they sit down and they write. And, and you know, that is perpetuated. Sometimes you see that in movies or you see, even in books, you see the writer, he sits down at the desk and he's writing and all of these beautiful words come out. And that's generally never the case. <laughs> that's that, that may be the case for somebody who's writing for, you know, for pleasure, which is a wonderful endeavor. Um, you sit down at your leisure, you write, whatever comes to you. Um, but for most of us, it's work. And even if it's not professionally, you know, it's not something that you're pursuing as a professional, it is work. Um, and But that also means that there are strategies that you can employ, that professionals employ to get your words onto the printed page. Uh, with as you know minimal amount of distraction and anxiety as possible <laughs> yeah you've written something called writers 101 speaking of uh colleges it just <laughs> made me think of the the springfield um uh well what what i found there um can you can you tell us about ghostwriting 101 ghostwriting 101 the the ultimate guide to writing well what is it and what is it <laughs> So, um, uh, so I think what you're talking about is the, on the DIY book page, the, the ultimate yeah, guide yeah, to writing. Right. Mm-hmm. So if, whether people decide to use the service or not, of course, obviously I hope that they do, but if they don't, um, well, I'll just back up for a second. One thing that I've, I've really discovered, um, throughout this process of, of running a ghostwriting company is that everybody I think has a story, um, whatever it is, I think they have a story and everyone should be able to put that story to paper. So with DIY book, part of what I'm trying to do is to make writing accessible and affordable. But even if they don't want to use the service, what I'm putting together is a library of writing tips and techniques that are available to everybody Um, so that, you know, people are doing this on their own. They really are self-starters. They can go here. You know, they, they can read these resources at their leisure. One of the ones um, that I think you're talking about is um, we have a story up there called Turning uh, Memories into Manuscripts, How to Write a Book About Your Life. Uh, and it is, a, a, it's a meaty volume. It, it has um, titles that you can click to and all of that, but we cover everything. Uh, I think particularly for this podcast, uh, we talk about the importance of turning your life experiences into a book, whatever those um, 
reasons might be. They might be personal. They might be family. Um, you might want to publish so that the world can actually see the record set straight. Um, and then we go into the various ways you start putting your book together because I know for me, when I sit down and I'm looking at a blank page, it's terrifying. And I do this for a living. So uh, if that happens to me, I'm sure it happens to most everybody else as well. So we talk about finding your why. Why are you writing this book in the first place? If you're not sure, we talk about how you figure that out. Uh, another element that um, the piece covers is identifying your unique angle. And, and what that means is um, and I think this goes to this feeling of uh, paralysis when you're writing is if everybody's writing a life story, how is mine different? How is mine special? How is it going to stand out? Uh, and I think the long story of short of that is that though there are similarities uh, across stories, across the spectrum, your story is going to be unique to you. No one will ever have the same life story as you. Um, but Knowing that, you know, if there's some overlap, you want to focus on some of the things that make your story unique and craft your book around them. And some of that, uh, some of the um, tools that, or tips that you might want to follow there is create a list, create a list of what you've done that has been special, that has shaped your life. Uh, and that, so there's two things, there's things that you've done and then events that have happened to you. So external events that have happened in your life. And then you, you look at the overlap and, and that one exercise, and I've done this with some of my ghostwriting clients when we're doing memoir, um, sometimes leads to other ideas, other uh, events that may have happened in someone's life that people forget about or they've suppressed or they just you know forgot about because so much has happened. Um, and that also helps to create a voice. Sometimes people look at um, these lists and they say, you know, gee, I've led a, a, a life full of adventure, um, but I want to approach it in a serious tone. So it, that kind of exercise does help people decide how they want to sound and be perceived on paper. Um, and then other elements we talk about, um, you know, do you want to outline your book or do you not want to outline your book? You know, there's pros and cons to, to both of those um, activities. There's no right or wrong way to write your book, obviously. So the, the guide I'm aims to help people choose their own adventure in a way that works for them. Well, that sounds great. And the library that people can go to for self-starters, that sounds great too. Uh, it sounds like if you, if you have the goal of writing a bestseller or if you want to write your memoirs, I, it sounds like there's something for everyone. I, I do have a patient whose father is elderly and he's had some very unique experiences and he wants to he wants to leave this in written form for his children and his grandchildren and i think that, that how exciting for a person who who has all of these thoughts and memories and feelings and 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 wants to leave a, a legacy of sorts uh in the form of a book that's great absolutely this kind of um this kind of service would be terrific for someone like that. I, I wish I knew about it when I wrote my first book because I I didn't know enough to categorize things into events that had happened and um, memories from the past and, and the, the main topics. I just kind of meandered around writing about the Florida Keys and how when I was a child, I was able to wander and roam and explore the flora and fauna and um, et cetera, et cetera. But 
I like this way of organizing things. So that's one category, the topics uh, that those are another defense mechanisms and then whatever is another category. So right. it would have been very helpful. <laughs> so for the next one. <laughs> for the next one. <laughs> but what is interesting about that also is it, it takes away some of the, what I've found is at least, again, the anxiety, but you're putting something down on paper that's not going to be at all the final product. This is just the prep work. And and at least for me and my work, I know that I feel much better knowing I have written down something already before I go to type on the print page that I've already thought about this and I've worked it through. And even though what may end up in the book will may look very different from these notes, the, the process of organizing it just helps to organize the thoughts and 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 generate, you know, a narrative thread. Yeah, having opened up Word and looking at a blank page and thinking, okay, now what? Right. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense to know where you're going. Uh, a question about ghostwriting in general, um, getting into someone else's head, uh, how does a ghostwriter help people? Now, this would be different than DIY. I imagine this is a ghostwriting uh, group that you have, right? So it's different, but how how do you um, connect with somebody? How do you know who's a good fit? You mean in terms of, of working, a with, client. Some, a working client. with a client? So somebody comes and says, I want to write a book about X. And you think, okay, I can help anybody write a book about most anything. How do you know that's a good fit for you or uh, one of the people who work with you for you? Well, I think generally with any good ghostwriter, the the hope is that the client is going to be comfortable sharing their story. Um, so uh, one thing that I think I do really well <laughs> uh, is to help people feel comfortable sharing their stories with me. And that comes from active listening um, and uh, being an empathetic listener and asking the kinds of questions that allow the, the author to share their story. Um, so that's one thing. So I think being transparent about that relationship is important. Um, obviously, that's hard to replicate when you're doing this on your own in DIY book, for example. Um, but we did try to structure the questions in a way that allow the writer to to build a story. So you're not getting right into the, so for example, if you're writing about a trauma, you're not going right to the trauma because that's overwhelming and traumatic and it's not going to, it's going to backfire. So um, the questions are structured in a way to help the person go from being, a, you know, a very broad concept to something more narrow. And that's what we do when we're working one-on-one -on -one as well. Um, a good client ghostwriter fit also, um, as I mentioned, active listening, but also knowing when to ask the right questions to help the client, um, with the story. Um, and I, I'm just thinking here from experience with some of my clients where we've worked um, on some, some tr pretty traumatic uh, topics. And sometimes the day that you're talking with each, with one another, it's just not the right day to, to broach a particular topic, even if, um, you know, we've prepped beforehand and I've uh, generally, if we're talking about something particularly challenging, I'll reach out to the client ahead of time and say, you know, tomorrow, just to let you know, we're going to talk about X. Here's the questions I'm anticipating to to ask you. Uh, and that helps also for the client to prepare mentally, uh, because sometimes, and I'm sure you see this in your practice, when people are talking about these experiences, they may relive them in one way or another, and that can, uh, you know, result in some pretty unpleasant feelings. Um, 
And so when you're talking about trauma, that is something that's going to happen. And, and um, I do try to preview that for my writing clients as much as possible, um, that it's not going to always be comfortable, but that I, I am here as your ghost to help you through that process and to come out of it with a story that you feel reflects um, your experience in your voice. So that's one thing I would say uh, that fit is important. Another element I would say um, is, is a ghostwriter going to find your voice? That's a, that's a question I get all the time. How are you going to get my voice? And um, it's true. You know, if you're working with a new ghostwriter, it's, it, they, they can have a hard time with that. And um, one thing that I think uh, I do pretty well is that uh, the first time I talk to a client, I'm not doing a lot of talking. I'm doing a lot of talking right now here with you, but generally I'll ask a few questions and I'm listening. And what I'm listening for is how the client speaks what the and what the client is saying. Sometimes what the client is saying sounds or that the content is different from how the client is saying it. Um, I'm thinking of an example where a client was talking about something incredibly traumatic, but was laughing. And I think the laughing was a bit of a defense mechanism. And so the question I had in my mind was, how are we going to reconcile these two on paper? And we talked about it. And it was something that the client had not been aware of. And it was just a, something that was happening when they were talking about this particular event and other events. Um, so it was eye-opening for them, but it's also helpful for me so that um, we're getting the best product possible that reflects what they want on paper. Um, and I think the other thing that's important is that uh, your ghostwriter will do what your ghostwriter wants you to do. <laughs> um, because ultimately, the ghostwriter is here to facilitate the telling of the client's story. Um, the ghostwriter will provide suggestions and recommendations, ideally based on their experience. But at the end of the day, the ghost is the ghost. It's not their story. They're just, they're the scribe. They're there to put it on paper and to be faithful to what the client wants. And, and I think that's important for the ghost to share with the client and that the client also feels comfortable saying that. And I think sometimes some clients may say, oh, well, you're the expert and I don't know, but that's that's not the case. The client does know it's the client's story. Um, so I think that that's also an element of being comfortable with who you're working with. That makes a good fit. Uh, thank you. That that does that that does help um, help my understanding of uh, ghostwriters and how they think a lot. I also wonder about anonymity uh, from this from this vantage point. So since I work with people all day, almost every day, I think people want credit most of the time. That doesn't mean they want their name on the headlines of the New York Times necessarily, but they want their mother, father, a significant other to say, hey, that, that's a good job. You, you really did something really well. And they might talk about what the something something is. And yet as a ghostwriter, you can you can help somebody write the best story of all times. And yet it's um I I, I don't know whether ghostwriters um say that they are the ghostwriter for some big celebrity or not. I think mostly not. So uh, you answered part of the question, but how does a ghostwriter deal with that? Well, I can only speak to my experience. <laughs> um, so um, I, I can only also speak to to my relationships with my clients. Uh, there are some ghostwriters who 
uh, I would imagine in their contracts have something where they can, where they may get a byline, which is, so you have the author's name on the top and then in smaller print, they may have their name underneath. And so that's a, a shared byline credit. Um, so they may uh, structure that in their agreements that they get to say that, or maybe they'll be uh, mentioned in the acknowledgements. Um, I tend to work with people who for various reasons do not want to share um, a by byline credit. And that's fine because the whole point of ghostwriting is to help the author get their story. A ghost, I think, and you know, I'm sure some folks might disagree with me on this, but a, a ghost's job is to help the client. It's not about gilding their own uh, bona fides. Um, which of course can catch a writer in a catch-22, which is, okay, if you're writing, how do people know that you've done it? Um, and then of course the answer to that is to write under your own name. <laughs> right. um, so, you know, that question of ego, I guess, for a ghostwriter is, well, you know, you've written these really great books, but nobody knows about it. And and I, to which I say, yes. And that's just part of the business because, um, you know, as we talked about previously, part of what I think makes a good client ghost fit is being comfortable speaking with your ghost. And, you know, um, for me, uh, you know, with my clients, they feel comfortable that whatever they say to me stays with me. And, um, I, sometimes that extends to having a co-authorship on the title and that's fine. So, you know, you just get to kind of put that, I guess, in your back pocket and say, this is my job. It's not about getting your name out in the lights or, or having people know that you've done it. And that's, you know, that's what it is. And I, I, I recognize that that can be hard for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, that, that kind of is the nature of the business. Well, thank you. I, I think it's, it takes a special person to do that well. That, that That's my opinion. <laughs> um, so there's something that I saw uh, associated with DIY um, uh, and the psychology of writing for wellness. Could you say a little bit about that, what you mean by that? Yeah. So I think just as an activity, writing has the power to help people process, uh, you know, not just trauma, but but various events in their life, whether they're confused or they're stuck or they're trying to chart a new course for themselves. The act of writing um, can help them do that. And there have been a couple of studies, um, actually, since 1986, uh, from, from what I've been able to research. There've been about 200 studies. I can I can send you the link to that afterwards. Um, that have found um, that what's been called emotional writing um, can improve the physical and emotional health of people, and uh, sometimes in as little as 15 minutes a day. Um, there was a study uh, in 2019, I believe, that found they where the uh, researchers followed participants for six weeks um, and they the participants wrote consistently every day for six weeks. And the researchers found that this act of writing, they weren't doing anything else, they weren't attending therapy, this was it. Uh, it increased their feelings of resilience. It decreased uh, depressive symptoms. It didn't decrease you know, depression, but their, their feelings, their perceptions of themselves, um, that those depressive symptoms decreased and um, their perceived stress went down. And I think those are all important things. Um, 
And then the question, of course, is why did this work? Why why did the the act of typing uh, on a computer or, or writing in a journal, the, the method didn't matter, but why did the act matter? And, you know, nobody's 100% sure why. And some of the uh, hypotheses around it is that um, writing about negative feelings can be cathartic and just getting it out there. And, you know, that phrase, getting it off your chest, well, there's you know, they, there seems to be some science behind it that that does help. Um, there's also some research that suggests um, that trauma can actually damage brain tissue, that if you experience a trauma, that, that the trauma goes in your brain and it just it can um, damage your brain. Um, so putting your pain to paper may help heal brain tissue. Now, this is this is all you know, it's still hypothetical, but that, that seems to be where some of the studies are going. Um, so just that in itself as a, as an activity can be beneficial. And so that's, that's part of, um, at least with DIY book, if you're doing this on your own, um, you know, there is that element of it, that it doesn't need to be perfect, that, that you're doing this for, for actual health reasons, as opposed to just getting your story, uh, out there. A couple of days ago, I looked up psychoanalytic studies about writer's block, just to see what people have said. And what I learned is that the term was coined by someone in the 40s or or 40s or 50s. Um, This person's name was Edmund um, Burglar. And what he said is that, and and this would be a psychoanalytic thing, uh, that not being able to write has to do with something. It's not just, it doesn't just pop up out of the blue. And his theory was that it it's about inner conflict of some sort. But there's the person writing this uh, abstract talked a little bit about, and it makes a lot of sense to me, a self not living up to, uh, well, his or her expectations, um, ha- having lost the ability to play, Oh, interesting. Not, you know, being freed up. Um, Freudian ego psychology and object relations theory, this article indicated, adds a lens to look at writer's block and to show how um, the circumscribed phenomenon can shed light on more common struggles that the person is having, muddled struggles, difficulties. But it's, you know... Okay, why can't I write? There has to be a reason, and right. analysts think there are reasons for everything. So, <laughs> it, it does. It did make sense to me. Yeah, I, I, and I'll, that part where you said um, play or lack of play can contribute to writer's block. It's it's interesting. I just read a study about how adults actually need to have more unstructured playtime and air quotes in their lives. So being Sitting with your thoughts, and I think that's something that in uh, our contemporary society we don't do. We maybe we go to our phone when we're bored, and we play a game, or we find something to distract ourselves. But th- that feeling of just, you know, going and maybe making a maybe not making a snow angel, but maybe just going out in the snow and kicking your feet around for five minutes. That is important in kind of beating that perhaps a, that block that you're having. Actually, when you were talking about 15 minutes of doing an exercise, I thought of I thought of exercise uh, in general, like physical exercise. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can't go to the gym for an hour and a half, five days a week, but you can do something. You can do something. You can do mm-hmm. something. 
other, so many body parts. You could do something with your arms, like something. So it just reminded me of that. It's true. And a lot of that also is, is creating that habit and, and that, that in itself is a process and some, and I know here we are and it's January um, and you know, everyone has these resolutions. I'm going to write my book. I'm going to go run a marathon. I'm going to do all of these things. And it's almost like you, your motivation's really high in the beginning of January. And then, you know, the month goes on and life happens and you shelve it. And some of that can, I think, um, at least with some of my writing clients I've, where I've seen this is that they're taking on too much at once. Um, and they're not thinking about how am I actually going to do this when my motivation tanks? <laughs> and, and that's the hard part is, you know, coming up with a plan that's realistic, that's going to fit into your life and that you can, you'll, you'll feel good about it. And, and some of that I think is this mind block. Well, it's only 15 minutes. It's not going to do anything or it's five minutes of exercise, um, whatever, it doesn't matter. And it, the, the truth is, is it does make a difference. And once you've kind of built up that either that mental muscle or if you're doing arm weights, you're doing, built up that arm muscle, you can you can add more. Yeah, there are studies that indicate how many how many days it takes to form a habit. And I think there are different numbers depending right. on the study. But I've noticed that myself with various things. If I right. exercise 15 minutes a day, I find that I want to do it. Mm-hmm. Hard to say in the beginning when you think, uh, it's winter, I've got too much to do. But anyway, it, it you can't it can build upon itself. Um it's a process. Say, yeah. One thing that you say is writing is good for the brain. What what do you mean by that? In addition to what we've talked about, you you have said some things, but any other thoughts about that? Um, so some of the studies have found uh that writing just you know, the, the act of writing can improve your memory. It can boost your mood. Um, and I would say for folks who have maybe written in a diary, you know, just a personal diary, when you're writing it down, you're writing about something that happened. Uh, if it's been a while and it's, you know, you're, maybe you were a teenager the last time you wrote a diary entry, um, you know, think about, you know, when you're writing about something that made you happy, it, it can boost your mood. Um, so in that sense, writing is beneficial. Um, there's studies that have shown that it can strengthen your prefrontal cortex. Um, so, so it is a beneficial brain activity. And for, um, you know, as we all continue to age, that's something that I think uh, is an important tool for us to uh, employ. Um, also, as I mentioned before, um, writing about traumatic experiences can lead to catharsis. So you get it off your chest, but also, and I, I've seen this with clients, it can lead to self-discovery. Um, sometimes verbalizing and then writing a, a, a traumatic event can, can lead to realizations about oneself or about other people. Um, and it can also help people uh, if they're dealing with perceptions of other people, maybe those perceptions change, or maybe they can understand a different point of view. Um, so that's another really, I think, important benefit, brain benefit of writing. Yeah, I like what you said about uh, the brain, because I think from a neuropsychological standpoint or neuropsych standpoint, uh, it helps build neuronal pathways. Uh, I remember reading uh, I don't know how many years ago, 10, 11, maybe I could be off on that, the brain that changes itself. And whereas people used to say that if you didn't start a language when you were very, very young, you could forget it. Well, it turns out now that it, it's also good for older people to try to learn a language because new neural pathways can be built 
depending on the shape of one's brain, but not so much age. Um, that would have to do, if, if you have problems, it may have to do with some sort of disease. But generally speaking, new pathways can be built. So that's good news. It's very exciting. Um, and and I, I, I think, is the term for that neuroplasticity? Yeah, uh, it is. Okay, all neuroplasticity. right. So yeah. neuroplasticity. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's just a fascinating discovery. And it's, it's, it's if you use it, it, you can build it. But if you don't, you might lose it. Um, as yeah. a little aside, I'm learning Icelandic. Um, and I have to tell you, after every session, my brain just feels like it, it got a little bit stronger because it's so hard. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. That's that's quite courageous of <laughs> Um, you've, and you've, I think you've answered this question, but, uh, I'll ask again, tell me about helping people write uh, in a judgment-free safe space. Um, so if people are, so meaning how do we create that safe space? Yeah, I think that how, how do you encourage that in DIY book? So if somebody is working on, and this is very important, especially if you're dealing with trauma, because if you don't feel safe, you're not going to write everything that you want to write. Um, so creating a safe space if you're on your own um, is, and that can extend to the physical space as well. Um, are you writing in a place that has a lot of light? Are you writing in a place that's quiet? Um, are you in a place where you have your favorite mug full of coffee. I mean, those sorts of things sound silly. Um, but when you're getting into the meat of your story, you want to be surrounded by things that make you comfortable. I I've worked, you know, this is in person, but if you're doing this on your own, I've worked with people who made sure to have pictures of their loved ones who had supported them on their journey on their desk um, so that they could turn to them when they were feeling overwhelmed. Uh, I even had a another client who had a uh, stuffed animal. <laughs> That they had and would you know clutch it um and have it on their desk when they they needed to reach for it and again it sounds silly but it, it's important especially if we're really going to be getting into topics that are going to be uncomfortable so that's one way of physically creating a safe space um i think being honest with yourself um that this is going to be it's not always going to be easy you're, you're making it as you're trying to facilitate the the telling of the story as much as possible, but acknowledging that it is going to be, it's going to be difficult and you may experience some emotions while you're telling it that you weren't expecting. Um, I think that's okay. Sometimes we just have to remind ourselves of that. I've, it's, I think, tempting to just close off and say, oh, I'm experiencing it again. I'm just going to, I'm going to stop. And sometimes it's important to take a break and pause and maybe shelve the topic you're talking about. But maybe you say, maybe I'll come back to this at another time. Um, but I will say in some cases, you don't come back to the topic. It is just too hard. I have seen that. And and I think also having the grace with yourself to say, that's okay. I, I'm not going to talk about that right now. And that's fine. Um, so that's also part of creating a safe space, you know, in your, in your own mind. Um, another element, especially if you're writing about your life experience, I think is recognizing... Um, that we have contradictory impulses when we're telling our life stories. So um, sometimes you might be tempted to withhold something. Uh, at the same time, maybe you know, maybe you sit down a day later and you say, I wanna tell everything about this story, all the nuts and bolts, all the dirty bits and happy bits, everything. Um, and then maybe a week later you sit down and you say, I have no idea what I wanna do. 
Do I want to tell? Do I not want to tell? And that's okay. That's normal. Um, you may want to deny certain events or you may want to deny certain feelings that you're having when you're talking about a particular um, life event. Um, same event, a week later, you may want to dive in and, and explore all of the little facets of that life story. And then, you know, then you're sitting there and you're saying, what am I going to do? Which way is it going to go? That's okay. That's part of the writing process, especially if you're writing about your life. Um, and I would say, you know, when you're when you're writing and you're having these different feelings, go with it. You know, if one day you're writing about a moment in your life and you don't want to write about everything, and then the next day you do, write those versions, write them down. There's a phase of writing that we call editing. You can figure it out then. The nice thing is you'll have those two versions. You can go back and look at them. And maybe there's something from both that you would like to incorporate. Um, so uh, another old maxim that I think just writers go by is nothing is wasted. So whatever you put down, you may use it later. Um, so this way, uh, yeah, that that's all important, I think, when you're creating a safe space. Yeah, I was just thinking of safe spaces and just kind of looking at my desk. I think people put things on their desks, for example, that give them some kind of joy or pleasure. For example, I have um, a Lego rose, a couple of roses that uh, a child made for me. And I look mm -hmm. at it and it, it makes me happy. It has just my new Stanley cup, the new <laughs> water. Oh, that's great. The water bottle. Apparently uh, <laughs> invites people to drink more. So <laughs> drink more water. So that's always a good thing. Hydration is key. Yeah. Um, Okay, so who are prime candidates for DIY? Now you spent uh, a fair amount, a fair amount of time talking about that, but uh, so I'll be more specific. Tips for writing about trauma. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of things that you would you would suggest. I mean, obviously, you don't want to speed through it, right? Right. Um, so if you're on DIY book and you've, you've when you go in, you, you can select which genres you want to talk about. If you want to talk about family, religion, trauma, you click those um, subjects and you will receive in the email uh, once a week, you'll get a, a one an email prompt from those sections. Maybe first you're talking about your family, next you're talking about religion, maybe you're talking about trauma the next week. Um, but the nice thing is that you don't actually have to answer those questions in the order they are received. Uh, let's say... Uh, one week you get a question about um, what your grandparents were cooking, what they cooked regularly in your home or in their home, and what kind of uh, memories does that invoke for you? Maybe that week you don't want to write about that. Maybe you want to write about the time you were 12 and you ran away from home. You can do that. You can log into the account and you can create a whole new chapter, and that's what you can you can write about that. Um, so the prompts that we offer though they are tailored based on what the client selects, they're not proscriptive. Like you don't have to follow them. They're just based on your selections and they're based on what I have found in my years of, and with other professional ghostwriters, what we've found helps people tell their stories. Um, and so I think that that's important. They're there as prompts. Uh, and I think that's an important distinction. Uh, they're there to prompt you to jog your memory, to get you to, to start thinking about your life because it can be tempting to sit down and say, well, I, I don't know what I have to say. I grew up in in Sheboygan and I, I went to college and then I, I got married and I had two kids. Like 
and that's it. And and if you think about it in that large kind of macro way, um, you're missing out, I think, on the stories um, that, uh, you know, people are going to really be looking for when, when they open up this book, especially if it's for family. So that's why some of these questions can seem, um, you know, out of left field. Like, what did your grandmother cook for Sunday dinner? Um, the idea is that when you talk about that, maybe you recall, you know, it's a little bit Proustian. You recall the smell and recall biting into a, like a, a meatball and you remember going out and playing uh, in the street with your friends and grandma would call you in. So those sorts of things can be generated from these kinds of prompts. Um, so that's that's one thing um, that I think people can find when they're using the program. Uh, if they're stuck, uh, we do actually have the opportunity for people to work with a ghost if they want to hire a ghostwriter to to bounce ideas off of them. Um, not everybody wants to do that. That's totally understandable because some people know exactly what they want to do. Um, we had somebody in in the program who wrote their entire book in three months. And the process is set up so that it, it actually, if you do one question a week, it should generally take you about a year. Um, but if you're motivated, you can you can write your story pretty quickly if you want. Well, thank you. That, that's very helpful. I'd like to switch gears a little bit here and ask about something that's specific uh, that that I think may be difficult. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about starting a, a new initiative uh, with doing a podcast series. I don't know that this will be the exact title, but something like Being Black in Psychoanalysis, which entails e using the right words when speaking and writing. And when you come from a different culture, you can't know that automatically. There's no possible way. Uh, there's, there really is impossible for a white person to know a black person's experience or the many experiences they've had. Absolutely. So, and, and people think that they can read a couple of books and know how to do it, but they really can't. I, I believe that very strongly. So I want to talk to people to tell me about their black experiences. Uh, part of this would also have to do with writing since I have this new job as uh, the chair of the scholarship and writing section of uh, psychoanalytic education for the American Psychoanalytic Association. So I, I wanna be able to help people understand that if they're white and they're writing about a black patient, it's not that easy. They really need to talk with that person about specific things and not make assumptions. So how would you how would you work with somebody, let's say a new black author? How would we how would we write their life story? Yeah, how would you get information mm -hmm. that you can't possibly have? No, and 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 this has come up. I mean, I have we have uh, had experience with this. And I think the first thing uh, is to just acknowledge I'm as a ghostwriter, I can only know my own lived experience. I and 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 that's true for actually any client, really. Um, is I don't know your experience, I didn't live your experience, and I never will. Um, and so part of this relationship um with the client is for there to once once we've established the trust that the client um feels comfortable sharing their story, um the ghost, I think, needs to be pretty um, uh, focused, first of all, but also explicit in saying, I I want you to know that I, I don't know your story. 
I can't possibly, I never lived it. And I'm, I'm hopeful that that you will be able to share your story with me so that I can learn. But also I think it's important for the ghost to go and, and do their own homework as well. It's not necessarily the responsibility of the client to say, well, I'm going to teach you everything there is to know. That's that's impossible and that's unfair. Um, and so there, I think there needs to be an acknowledgement on the ghost side that I'm deficient in uh, X and I, I need to go and, and do some research. Um, at the same time, you mentioned how can, you know, if you're a white uh, doctor and you're working with a black patient, how can you recognize your biases and it? And I think that that's important that just in general, that we all have biases. And, and I think that it's important to recognize them, see where they are and, and see how you can overcome them when you're telling the story. And I, I think that that's true for every client, because I, I, I have worked with so many people from so many diverse backgrounds that one of the first things that I do, uh, when I'm working with somebody, as I say, I will say to them, I, I will ask you questions and I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm, I'm asking them because I genuinely don't know. And I need to know so that I can help you share your story. Because I think there's another element here. Uh, when we're writing books like this, um, who's your audience? Is your audience somebody like me who doesn't know your shared, your, your lived experience? So we're trying to do two things. One, the ghost needs to overcome their own biases, but also help client share things in a way that to help people like me understand what they're living, um, which is a wonderful thing to do because you're, you're helping other people see beyond themselves and to learn something new about a different, uh, different person, different, different way of life. And, and, you know, just realize how diverse uh, this place is. Yeah. I, I'd like to ask you also about the term BIPOC. I think a couple of years ago when I was at conferences, people were using it and, and thinking it was a positive thing. But I, I've read some different things lately, how some people are feeling like they're being lumped together with people from different backgrounds. And it, starting, I believe, for some people, maybe not everyone, but for some people to feel disrespectful because an indigenous person from Canada say they have a totally different experience than a black person from Indiana or Washington DC or any place else. And while it's pretty common uh, that Europeans and white Americans come from multinational complex backgrounds with very diverse histories, they're, they're not all lumped in together. So uh, it seems like it's kind of dangerous to put everybody in the same category. And I think people are are beginning to resent it, maybe some. Uh, one woman said, uh, Ms. O'Bell, this was in the New York Times a couple of years ago, uh, this is like when we asked that they arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor. And uh, they're like, how about we pass a law? Ms. O'Bell said, we are asking a lot of things. And being called BIPOC, BIPOC is not one of them. Stop making decisions for us without us. And so I think asking people is really key here. But what are about your thoughts about that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I think if people, I, and I, I mean, I understand that you don't want to be lumped. Nobody wants to be lumped into a group um, that they they don't identify with. I, I completely understand that. Um, and and if the terminology doesn't apply, I. I I, why would you want that to 
be assigned to you. Um, and, and the wonderful thing about writing and writing your own story is that you have agency. You, you don't, you can disavow that term and you can use the one that works. And, and by putting that on paper and putting it out in the world, you're showing everyone, this is how I see myself. This is how I want you to see me. Um, it's a very simple act, but it's a very powerful one. Well, I think that um, I, I have a lot, I have many more questions that I could ask. And maybe sometime you could come back and we could do this again after. Love that. Uh, DIY book um, gets going more and maybe you'll have different uh, perspectives about what people are uh, writing about or, or what struggles they're having. And, and how this is helping. So I think th that would be great. I would love that. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having me today too. This has been sure. amazing. Anything else you'd like to add? Um, I, I hope that people are not intimidated or are less intimidated to write about themselves uh, after this uh, because it's a wonderful experience um, to actually write whatever you end up writing and um, to do it in a judgment-free zone uh, is, is a gift. So I, I hope that people can find that and, and cultivate their, their writing practice for themselves. It's so rewarding. Well, it sounds like you'd be a wonderful person to help people with this and, and very <laughs> sensitive because I think that you are attuned to many things. So mm -hmm. I think just keep doing this good work. Thank you. I appreciate it. Sure. Okay, well, we'll stop for today. And uh, well, I guess one last question: Where can people reach you? How? How? Uh, how? Yeah, how can they reach you? What's the best way? The best way they can find me at bbrichter at diybook.us, or they can go to diybook.us and poke around the website and uh, fill out the contact form there, and we'll get back to them. I'm also on all the socials where Instagram, DIY Book HQ, Facebook, DIY Book HQ, Pinterest. Um, so we're, we're, we're all over the place. So uh, you can find us there. Okay. Sounds good. Worst case scenario, they can contact me and I can, <laughs> I can send them in your direction. Perfect. Okay. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you. You're welcome.